This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. WABC New York and 107.1 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports, Lou Dobbs, Business. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yeah, that's me. Five o'clock on a Thursday. Good morning. It is Thursday, March 23rd. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Could see some showers off and on throughout the day. Otherwise, this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. It'll be cloudy in between those showers, which I guess makes a whole lot of sense. A high 63, and then tonight and overnight rain, low 47. Friday, mostly cloudy, high 56. If you are walking out the door with us, and so happy you are right now, it is 46 and cloudy here in Midtown. I was listening to Frank's uh, final segment with the 15 seconds of fame, and it reminded me, which is a great segment, reminded me uh, yesterday I did uh, an interview, and I'll tell you when it comes out, but I did an interview with this great uh, reporter, and he asked one of the questions he asked me was, do you remember the first time you were ever on the radio? And I said, I think he was expecting me to say the first time professionally, but um, I was a huge radio geek as a kid. So you can imagine how excited I am to be working in radio all these years later. But as a kid, I would sit in my bed at night in Trenton, New Jersey, under the blankets, listening to the clock radio. And the guy that I listened to, I lived in, you know, closer to the Philly market. The go-to guy I listened to was a guy named Irv Homer, who was great. He was on the station WWDB out of Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And I was a serial harasser of Herb Homer. So the first time I was ever on the air, I was probably 14 or so. And I called in with my name, which now I think about how silly that was. Not that they were going to go looking for me, but they went to me. And my whole my whole frame of mind was I wanted to be able to curse on the air and get it over the air. So they went to me and they said, no, you're on the air. I don't remember what they were talking about. And I then went into F you, F you, F you, F you. And I said it as many times as I possibly could until they cut me off the air. And then I sat back in bed and I could hear myself back. And they were able to get most of my FUs, but some of them they, they weren't able to get and they got on the air. And I was like, wow, I realized this medium is so powerful. So then um, they realized who I was because I tried it a few more times. So I came up with this other scenario, as I told this reporter yesterday, where I would talk about the topic they were talking about. So let's say they were talking about soft pretzels, which is, you know, of course, a big thing in Philly. I would say um, I'd get on and I'd say, 
Irv, I love soft pretzels. I love them with mustard and salt. And then I go, F you, F you, F you, F you. And, <laughs> and invariably I would get on. So the, as the world sort of is a connected sort of thing, years later when I got to WABC, guess who would prank call WABC? Irv Homer. This is unbelievable. He was, I feel bad. He was a frustrated, angry guy at the end of his career because he wasn't on the air and he would take it out on WABC. But I guess I had it coming. I guess I had it coming. All right. Let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. A wild scene with a potential jumper in Midtown. Could a newly discovered Michael Cohen letter get President Trump off the hook? The White House pushing back against a Biden-China connection. The family of a New Jersey, New Jersey council, actually, let me say them. The family of a murdered New Jersey councilwoman says more has to be done to find her killer. And we'll hear the 911 calls from those Staten Island kids who got stuck in the sewer. All right, let's get into it. WABC Newstime 504. Let's start in New Jersey where there was a shelter in place issued last night. Monmouth University. You can imagine how frightening this was. There was a thought that there was an armed gunman on the campus in West Long Branch, New Jersey. Police notified of a possible gunman on the main campus about 9 o'clock last night. The university quick to alert students and faculty who were ordered to shelter in place and wait further notice. We don't have a whole lot more on it than that. They did call off that uh, shelter in place, and the campus is up and running, and I imagine will be later this morning. But, of course, as more details on what could have been a very scary night and probably was for students and staff there, uh, ended uh, about six, seven hours ago now. WABC Newstime 504, another wild scene here in Midtown yesterday. A man engaged police in an eight-hour standoff while hanging out a 31st floor window. Let's get the latest details on that live now from WABC's Alex Barnard. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Noam. And yes, that's right. Wild is a really good way to describe this story. It all started around 8.30 a.m. yesterday when the FBI attempted to serve a warrant in connection with a bank fraud investigation to a man identified by the New York Post as 35-year-old Ian Mitchell. Mitchell was known to investigators as a con man who allegedly pretended to be a member of a wealthy Jamaican family. As agents tried to enter the apartment in the City Spire building on West 56th Street between 6th and 7th Avenues, they found their way blocked by furniture and Mitchell's body almost fully outside the window. Mitchell had apparently broken the window from inside the apartment before sitting on the ledge and threatening to jump. A crowd soon began to form outside the building, creating a nuisance for those who live and work in the area. Kind of hard because now they got to go all the way around to get to their jobs, you know. But then if you're going to do what you're going to do, you know, wasting people's time and money, you know, it's ridiculous. I mean, taking your life, I mean, you can't buy that back. You can't, you can't take that. There's, there's no coming back. At one point during the standoff, Mayor Adams went inside the building for a briefing. NYPD is patient. They're doing the job. That's why they're the finest. Our hostage negotiation team is the best in the business. A large airbag was placed on the street, but Mitchell eventually went back and locked himself inside the apartment. Officers later scaled down the building from the story above and entered through the broken window. They then took Mitchell into custody and put him in an ambulance around 4.30 p.m. So Ian Mitchell has a sordid background. What was the scoop with him? 
Well, there's the details are a little murky there, but basically he's just a known con man that uh, has up until recently been pretending to be the member of a wealthy Jamaican family. It's not clear what kind of scam he was pulling here, but uh, bank fraud seems to be pretty serious. Yeah, uh, I imagine we'll get more in the story, of course, as the day wears on. But, you know, we, how many times have we seen these stories where people fake to be members of very wealthy family to get other people to invest in them and they're able to pull it off? And it sounds like he's one of them. Well, and the worst is when they scam on, prey upon older people, yeah. for example. I mean, it's just, it's horrible. Yeah. All right. WABC's Alex Barnard. Thank you very much. WABC News Time 509. Good to hear that everything is back to normal. Yesterday, it was uh, rough for people trying to get home on New Jersey Transit or Amtrak from Penn Station. There was uh, multiple brush fires near the tracks. And uh, so they had to halt service for a while and Penn Station getting packed with people who were just angry that they could not get home. Annoying, really annoying. But, you know, this is the first time I've had a bunch of cancellations like this. I have to take the bus. So I'm going home to Hamilton, New Jersey. Um, but they said all the trains are canceled to Hamilton. So he said the only way for me to get there is for the bus. And I've never taken the bus from here before. So I have to try to figure that out. Oh, you'd think you'd be able to figure that out. At one point, uh, New Jersey Transit Service was suspended on the northeast corridor line between uh, Penn Station and Trenton. And so, of course, it was both ways. So you had people who were trying to get into the city were trapped as well. Found this guy in Edison. I'm visiting my friends here, and then I was going to New York for, to Times Square to spend the evening. And unfortunately, the train would cancel, and, and I'm here from the last two hours. I'm thinking I'm going to drop the plan now. You know, I live life saying it is what it is. It is you can't is. change anything. Big flames could be seen uh, at a fourth location. There's three locations. One of them was Matawan. They think it was a freight train that was going through the area that sparked these brush fryers right next to the track. But as you heard from Joe, it sounds like everything's up and running on schedule this morning. So that is good. The uh, grand jury in Manhattan weighing charges against former President Trump did not meet yesterday. Of course, everybody trying to figure out why. Grand jury could reconvene as early as today. The Manhattan DA's office has suggested that at least one attorney representing a grand jury witness that they need to return to provide more testimony. So we may not get anything more today. Could just be they'll hear that testimony. It's unknown if that witness will ultimately be called to provide more testimony or if it's a new witness. They're not signaling anything on that. Schedule changes, by the way, with these grand juries are not unusual. It does happen. Usually they meet two or three times a week, a Monday, a Wednesday, and then a Thursday afternoon if they need to. So I guess it'll be this Thursday afternoon. So I saw Ron Kuby. You remember Ron? Of course you remember Ron Kuby. I saw Ron Kuby on WABC TV last night trying to explain this whole case and why he thinks uh, President Trump will be indicted in the end. The prosecutor controls everything that happens before the grand jury and it's the prosecutor who provides the legal instructions to the grand jury. As, as a legal matter, grand juries function under the auspices of the court, but in practice, they're prosecutorial tools, and they and they have been forever. I thought that's the best explanation I've heard of why he probably will be indicted. The uh, panel probing Trump's involvement, of course, in that $130,000 payment made in 2016 to porn star Stormy Daniels. Uh, there's this newly surfaced letter. You know, everybody's throwing everything they can out there from both sides. So it's hard to know what's real, what's not. What's we're all, you know, hopefully it'll all be sorted out at some point. But there's this newly surfaced letter, 
2018 shows Michael Cohen may be lying to federal election officials about that 130000 payment made to Stormy Daniels, which uh, later sent him to prison. The letter obtained by the New York Post, they put it in the paper this morning, it, um, in it, Cohen told the Federal Election Commission that he used his own personal funds to facilitate this payment to uh, Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, back in 2016. But a little more than six months later, Cohen changed his tune and then copped a plea to a laundry list of federal crimes that included an excessive campaign contributions to Donald Trump. So is that being entered into all this? I don't, yeah. Couldn't tell you because I'm not in the courtroom. Uh, Mayor uh, Adams says uh, he's watching the case closely. He doesn't know any more, he says, than you or I do. But he says security will be tight around the city. We don't know what is happening. There's a lot of speculation. Let the DA do their job. We're going to be ready to do ours. And the backers of former President Trump, they're out there, including Texas Republican Congressman Chip Roy. The DA in New York is politicizing the justice system to target former President Trump. There's no question. Roy says that Donald Trump is a good man, doesn't deserve this. I don't want to sit here and watch the former president getting targeted for political purposes because it undermines our system of government. Let's go down to the White House. White House is not responding to allegations that members of President Biden's family receive payments indirectly from a Chinese company. I'm just not going to respond to that from here. Speakers uh, to reporters there, that's Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, a House Republican. She says House Republicans have been lying for years on the issue. She refused to answer questions on these alleged payments due to what she calls lies and inaccuracies. Republicans on the House Oversight Committee issuing this memo, uh, memo last week that claims members of Biden's family received just over a million dollars towards the end of the Obama administration. Uh, the committee chair there, James Comer, says it's unclear what services were provided to obtain those funds. We have heard from House Republicans for years and years and years um, how uh, how the inaccuracies and lies when it comes to this issue. Well, uh, what's interesting, of course, is the White House has not ever said anything about this. Uh, the president had not said anything about this until the last couple weeks. They've started to speak out forcefully uh, against it, saying that none of this is true. Um, but, of course, now with uh, Republicans in control of Congress. You'll hear a lot more about this over the coming days and coming weeks. 5.15 now. Let's head over to the WABC Sports Desk where we find Justin Eller. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Gnome Layden. Happy Thursday morning. Start on Hardwood here in the Knicks. They were the only local team in action last night, losing 127-120 to to the Heat down in Miami. New York kept it close up until about halfway through the fourth quarter when Miami took all of three minutes to swell their one-point lead into double digits. Jimmy Butler led the contest in scoring with 35 points, while R.J. Barrett led all Knicks with his 26. Knicks still hold possession of fifth place in the Eastern Conference, but after losing two straight here, are only two games up on the Brooklyn Nets, and now the Heat. New York will make the short trip from Miami to Orlando tonight to tip it off with the Magic at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. As for the Nets, they'll be back on the court tonight at home to welcome in the Cleveland Cavaliers for a 7.30 p.m. tip-off. In Memphis, all-star point guard John Morant made his highly anticipated return to the floor in his first appearance since serving his eight-game suspension. Morant, if you remember, was away from the team for two weeks after brandishing a gun during an Instagram live stream from a Denver-area strip club on March 4th. He came off the bench in his return, registering 17 points in his 24 minutes on the floor, and the madness resumed tonight with the Sweet 16 of the NCAA Men's College Basketball 
basketball tournament set to get underway at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time between 7-seed Michigan State and 3-seed Kansas State. Following that matchup will be 8-seed Arkansas versus 4-seed UConn at 7-15, 9-seed FAU against 4-seed Tennessee at 9, and finally 3-seed Gonzaga taking on 2-seed UCLA at 9.45. And news yesterday out of Jets land, unfortunately not directly pertaining to Aaron Rodgers, but still significant nonetheless. Game Green traded wide receiver Elijah Moore to the uh, Cleveland Browns while almost simultaneously finalizing a free agent contract with his replacement and former Kansas City Chiefs wideout, Nicole Hardman. Hardman's deal is for one year and worth a maximum $6.5 million. Uh, the draft capital, though, that the Jets received in the Moore trade could potentially be used as ammunition in their attempts to acquire the aforementioned Rodgers. And local ice hockey action tonight, you got the Rangers back in action out in Carolina, taking on the Hurricanes at 7 p.m. Here with sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Ellick. Just getting started on this Thursday morning. Uh, allergy season's going to kick in, and it already has really early. We'll talk about that. Shootings are down across New York. We like to hear that. And um, we'll hear the 911 calls from those Staten Island kids who got stuck in a sewer. But before we do any of that, let's take a check of Wall Street with Lou Dobbs. This is the 77 WABC Lou Dobbs Financial Report. Stocks still up for the week despite yesterday's big sell-off. The market turned negative after another rate hike. All three major stock indexes lower. The Dow Jones Industrials down more than 500 points. The Fed is projecting one more rate hike this year. GameStop still climbing after hours. Shares jumping 35% after a mixed earnings report. Profits higher, sales lower. General Mills reports earnings before the opening bell. Wall Street expecting a 9% increase in revenue. General Mills stock down more than 2% so far this year. Job search platform Indeed, the latest tech company to announce layoffs, cutting 2,200 jobs. That's about 15% of its workforce. Indeed's announcement comes after Amazon and Meta announced their second round of cuts. More than 100,000 technology sector employees laid off so far this year. Please join me several times each weekday right here on 77 WABC. This is the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. Keep listening for more to 77 WABC for the Lou Dobbs. Dobbs Financial Report. WABC News Time 520. We're finding out just how much it's costing us to house migrants in the big city and how it's affecting just about everything. The migrant crisis seems to be taking its toll on a bunch of New York City agencies, especially as they go through budget season. Advocates particularly concerned with the funding for the public library system. But Mayor Adams says the city is on the hook for asylum seekers. we got to pay for it all somehow. Here's the reality. We have a $4 billion issue, migrant seekers, $4 billion. The money will come from somewhere where uh, you think about where all that money could be going he says all the city agencies have been asked to focus on job vacancies find efficiencies without cutting services advocates worry the budget more than 40 million dollars cuts to uh libraries that's one of the cuts they're talking about will result in closed branches uh, staffing shortages fewer operating hours we told them we want you to focus on vacancies and efficiencies that's not going to have layoffs and that is going to ensure that we don't cut the delivery of services. And they have stepped up. And we listen, I know it's hard on all of these agencies. You know, I look at the library, I think, like, I can't remember the last time I was in one. And I say, well, okay, they're going to cut to it. But I will say the one in Midtown, it's right near here, it's packed. I see people walking in and out of there all day. So the people really do use it. We've asked every agency in the city to look for efficiencies and the uh, the... 
jobs that were not been being filled vacancies okay the uh, fed uh, is hiking interest rates despite concerns over the banking system the committee raised the target range for the federal funds rate by a quarter percentage point bringing the target range to four and three quarters to five percent all right so it's five percent now fed chair jerome powell says inflation remains too high the labor market very tight he says the work to get inflation down to the central bank's two percent goal has a long way to go and is likely going to be bumpy on worries over the banking sector powell says the system is sound and resilient and they've been telling us over and over again uh, over the last uh, two well, i guess two weeks now our now. banking system is sound and resilient with strong capital and liquidity we will continue to closely monitor conditions in the banking system and are prepared to use all of our tools as needed, to keep it safe and sound. But the thought here is, of course, that they raise the rate even just a little bit. It will help keep inflation down. Inflation remains too high, and the labor market continues to be very tight. The process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go and is likely to be bumpy. All right, 523, three people rushed to the hospital following a deadly motorcycle crash. This was in the Bronx yesterday afternoon. The accident happened about 4.30, Pelham Parkway, Williams Bridge Road. A 44-year-old man on a motorcycle hit a 72-year-old woman as she was crossing Pelham Parkway. The driver then lost control of that motorcycle and hit a 17-year-old girl on the sidewalk. Just an ugly scene. We've been having this issue actually on the pedestrian pathway on the greenery. Because now parks wants to expand this pathway to allow vehicles like mopeds, e-bikes, motorcycles to drive alongside pedestrians. And this is a pedestrians and motorcycles and mopeds do not mix well. Yeah, I think what she's trying to say is, boy, you got to look everywhere now. It used to be just cars, but now you go into that bike lane and there's not just bikes coming at you. There's scooters, there's motorbikes, uh, all three victims here. Taken to Jacoby Hospital, the 72-year-old woman unfortunately pronounced dead at the hospital. The teenager and the motorcyclist are expected to survive. The police are investigating so far no charges. Health experts say spring allergy season could hit New York and New Jersey in record time. Actually, I think it's hit already. I'm sneezing already. You'll want to stock up on tissues if you suffer from a runny nose, itchy eyes. Experts say pollen season will arrive early and last longer than usual. I would say it's here already. I see things blooming in my neighborhood. The cherry blossom tree outside my trees already, uh, outside my house is already opening up very early. Usually that's April or even May. So, uh, what these health experts are saying is the season will last through October. So why? Well, it's a mild winter. Unseasonably warm temperatures during the winter have led to these early blooms and what they called supercharged pollen. That's what's going to make you sneeze and your eyes water. The supercharged pollen coming from oak, willow, cedar, and hickory trees. Wouldn't that fun? WABC News Time 525 shootings reportedly down across all of New York, not just the city, but statewide this year. Governor Hochul says shootings down 21% in New York City, 34% outside the five boroughs. Outside New York City, shootings have returned to pre-pandemic levels. You can see uh, where we were in 2019 and where we are now in 2023. So, again, that's outside of New York City. Very good uh, trend that we're heading on right now. I know you're saying, well, sometimes they play with these numbers, but uh, let's root on the fact that things are going in the right direction. Murders have dropped by 11 percent. However, overall index crime has risen by more than 20 percent. 
The governor uh, highlighting the metrics while shopping out her $337 million public safety spending plan in Albany, doubling down on funding for gun violence prevention programs and calls for bail reform. These are all good signs, but the entire picture is not as positive. When we look at index crimes, which measures uh, serious crimes that are not just shootings and murders, it's other serious crimes... That's actually up 21%. Yeah, so we still have a long way to go. And we compare ourselves to other states on the homicides. New York State's homicide rate is almost two times lower than the national average. All right, we'll take that. Joe, I was uh, I started the show this morning talking about my first time ever on the radio. Do you remember your first time ever on the radio? You sure do. It was uh, when I was in college, yeah, at uh, Seton Hall. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> remember every minute of it. Believe it or not, you know what the first thing I did was? What was that? A traffic report. Oh, you come on. <laughs> you can't make that up. Seriously? Yeah, they gave me, they said, here, read this. And back in those days, they used to um, steal the traffic off of uh, one of the stations that had the helicopter. Oh, so you and just listened to them and then I just listened to it, wrote it down, and then wrote it back. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. Were you good? I, I guess it's 43 years later. <laughs> do, you have, do, you got t- do you have tape of it somewhere? Actually, no, no, no. no Actually, it's, it's like, four, that was in 1976. That was in, um, yeah, late 76, that was a long time ago now. Oh, that's a great story. That, that, and then you look at that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Who knew? Yeah, it was a lot. I, I, I had a great time in college on the radio. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, college radio is a blast. Yep. All right, we got a lot more to get to. Thank you, Joe. As we work our way up to the uh, 6 o'clock hour, the family of a mur- murdered New Jersey councilwoman says more has to be done to find her killer. We'll hear the 911 calls from those Staten Island kids who got stuck in a sewer. And wait till you hear how much Moderna wants to charge us for a COVID shot going forward. Well, that's assuming you even want one. But we'll get into that and more. But first, it's 5.30. The 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. On 77 WABC. The power of information. The freedom to talk about it. With New York Attitude. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Hi, this is John Katsimatidis Jr. Make sure to get my dad's new book, How Far Do You Want to Go? Lessons from a Common Sense Billionaire. I'm lucky enough to learn from him every day, and now you can too. Read my book, and you'll find out how to make your first billion. Available now at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. To get a signed copy, go to WABCRadioStore.com. Music Radio 77 WABC presents Saturday Nights with Tony Orlando. Every Saturday at 10 p.m. Hi, everybody. This is Tony Orlando. Three times on the ceiling if you want me. It's like a variety show on the radio. Storytelling at its best. Every Saturday at 10 p.m. Right after Cousin Brucie on Music Radio 77 WABC. This Sunday, from noon to 1 p.m., he's one of America's most prominent political consultants, holster and pundit, a best-selling author, and he's been called the most influential private citizen in America by Time Magazine. In politics, you're up, you're down, nothing is final or fatal. He's Dick Morris, and this Sunday, from noon to 1 p.m., he's on 77 WABC. Radio 77 WABC. Talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. 
This is the 77 WABC News Hour with Noah Layden. Yep, that's me. 532. Good morning. It is Thursday, March 23rd. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center could see some showers today. Clouds high 63 tonight overnight. Rain, low 47. Friday, mostly cloudy, high 56. If you are walking out the door with us right now and appreciate that you are, it is 46 and we'll call it misty. Much to get to as we work our way up to sit in friends in the morning at 6 o'clock. We'll start with the CEO of Moderna who's trying to explain to Congress why it's going to cost more, like quadruple the price to get a COVID shot come Let's say it's the fall when they'll start to roll out these new shots because uh, no longer would the government pay for them. You have to pay for them yourselves. That's, well, of course, assuming you want one. And on the topic of, of price, uh, it's important as we move into the endemic market that we price to value of a vaccine. What value does it bring in terms of healthcare uh, dollars? Yeah, so here's the rub. U.S. government paid Moderna between 15 and 26 bucks a dose during the pandemic. And then, of course, the feds gave the shots to us for free. Well, we paid for them, essentially, but essentially they gave it to us free. The feds also gave Moderna $10 billion to develop the vaccine. So now senators asking the right questions. Why is the Boston company planning to charge 130 bucks a dose once the shot moves to the private? market in the early fall we are committed to ensuring anyone who wants a vaccine can get one yeah okay without price being a barrier yeah it seems outrageous they're asking the right questions there uh the moderna ceo stefan Bonsell in front of those legislators yesterday port authority officials expanding path service on the newark world trade center line starting today Port Authority Chairman Kevin O'Toole says a nine-car path train will be launched, the start of an additional 40% capacity from Newark to the World Trade Center over the next year. So you won't have to necessarily wait for a train because there'll be more cars on the train you're waiting for. It is really life-changing for those folks who live in New York or live in New Jersey and work on either side of the, uh, the Hudson. So they tell us this translates to an added capacity of 2,000 passengers during the morning and afternoon rush. The um, number of people using the path is increasing, but ridership is only at 60% of what it was pre-pandemic volume. So you get the sense that it's probably not coming back if it's... We're out of the pandemic for a while. It's at only 60%. That means lots of people are still working from home. The arrival of trains of nine car train sets comes just at the right time as we restore lost ridership and strengthen our connections to the people who rely on the system. I, this just is my guess. That's not what's getting people back to work as longer trains or a chance to sit down. It's uh, they want to work from home and they've obviously figured out a way to do it. We see it here in the city. Midweek, there's lots of people here. The beginning and the end of the week, not as many. Port Authority Chairman Kevin O'Toole says the Newark World Trade Center line will be able to handle a lot more as the year goes on. We are going to add a capacity of over 2,000 passengers during rush hour in the morning for four hours in the morning and four hours in the afternoon, having extra three, two and three trains. Again, I'll point to the fact, though, they're only at 60% capacity of uh, where they were pre-pandemic. That's that's huge. 535, the world watching how the U.S. and its allies are responding to Russia's aggression against Ukraine. The stakes in Ukraine go well beyond Ukraine. And I think it, um, it has a profound impact in Asia. 
Secretary of State Blinken there talking to a Senate panel. He says allowing Russia to invade Ukraine with impunity would open a Pandora's box of issues that would go well beyond the conflict. He says China watching and drawing lessons on how the world is coming together to back Ukraine. If we allow that to be violated with impunity by Russia and Ukraine, we open a Pandora's box around the world where would-be aggressors everywhere look at this and say, if they can get away with it, I can too. Senator Lindsey Graham, part of this uh, meeting yesterday, says Russia should be designated a state sponsor of terrorism. China is openly embracing Russia. They're undercutting everything the West is trying to do to isolate Russia. I think now is the time, Mr. Secretary, to label Russia state sponsor terrorism. Yeah, he says this meeting between China and Russia was three days, by the way, the the, uh, Chinese leader leaving yesterday. And he said he's worried about what happened during those meetings. There are better ways to get at the same at the same. Well, whatever those ways are. We're over a year into this thing. Let's do something. Graham says Russia has committed immense war crimes in Ukraine, Syria, and elsewhere. And he says they should be punished for that. They just bombed the hell out of people, terrorized people, use rape as a weapon of war. And it's now time to stand up and say, you are a terrorist state. It'll be interesting, of course, to see what comes out of that three-day summit between China and Russia. WABC News Time 539. We're just getting this in from the Monmouth County prosecutor. If you were listening to us at the beginning of the hour, there was a shelter-in-place call uh, set out for Monmouth University. This was overnight that they thought there was a gunman on the campus. They told students and faculty to shelter in place. This was about 9 o'clock last night. And then they called it off couple of hours or later, of course, people were wondering what happened. Now the Monmouth County prosecutor says someone walking on campus, and I, I just want to double check that I'm reading this right, may have mistaken a curling iron for a gun. And that's what set off all that craziness last night. So crazy, crazy, crazy. What's even crazier, the uh, death of a teenager found near where Alex Murdoch gunned down his wife and son is now being investigated as a homicide. The Smith family attorney, Ronnie Richter, agrees with the South Carolina Enforcement Division in terms of investigating this whole story. It's uh, I'll get in all to it. Let's hear from him. Based upon their review of the forensic evidence, that they, too, are convinced that this was not a hit and run, that this was something more. Yeah, what is it with this Murdoch family? 2015, Stephen Smith was found dead on a road around 15 miles from Murdoch's South Carolina home. And it was investigated at the time as a hit and run. Police say they found new evidence about Smith's dead, uh, death during Murdoch's recent double murder investigation. Smith, who was openly gay, was reportedly rom- rom- romantically linked to the surviving son, Buster Murdoch, leading Murdoch to deny what he calls vicious rumors that he was involved in Smith's murder. Are you following all this? It is a little convoluted. So it's the son uh, of the murderer, right, who they say, well, they're not saying that he's involved in it, but that he was involved romantically with this kid who was found dead. Someone's soul is burdened with this information. And whoever that person is, I'm telling you, talk to SLED, call us, put this weight down. Stephen Smith's mother, uh, Sandy, says she couldn't believe that Stephen's death was an accident, so she's glad they're reopening this case. In my heart, this was not a hit and run. I think he was murdered, and I just need the proof. I'm a mother. I need answers. WABC News Time 541, the family of a murdered New Jersey councilwoman. 
breaking their silence weeks after her death. Eunice Drumfor's mother pleading with the public for any information regarding the unsolved case. She was shot and killed, you remember, outside of her townhouse. The 30-year-old Sayreville Councilwoman was. And um, so far, they have no leads or very few leads as to who the murderer was. I want justice. Please, I want justice for my family and then my daughter. We just want New Jersey to know that this is a young dynamic, bright uh, woman uh, who had her whole life ahead of her, uh, taken too soon, too quickly. Governor Murphy has said that he thinks the shooting is very specific, but there's nothing to suggest it was politically motivated. The family says the investigation is moving too slow for them. They want to know who this person is. We were wondering uh, who would hate Eunice. That's the first question we were asking ourselves. I don't think I'm going to forget about her because... We have a lot, a lot, a lot of memories. Ah, we pray for justice. That's all I care. All I'm praying for, justice for her. Cops are not saying a lot about this, but they do say everything is still on the table as they investigate the murder of that Republican councilwoman in Sayreville. Let's bring it back into the city. Mayor Adams doesn't seem too concerned about the amount of money the NYPD is spending on overtime. Adams says there's a real explanation for the overtime costs, specifically the department's latest effort to flood the subway system with officers. And we accomplished that task. You don't see the encampments on the system. You see the customer satisfactory surveys have shown that people are pleased with CNN police officers. Yes, the crime has gone down in the subways, and some of that, of course, is thankfully to the fact that they flooded the subways with these officers who are all working, by the way, overtime to flood the subways. The money, some of it, is coming from the state, from the governor. That is going to run out in June. So then what will happen then? Will those cops be taken off the overtime beat? Because it's something like $740 million in overtime uh, all together between when they began it and when it ends in June. Of course, nobody here wants to hear that it's ending because it seems to be on some level working. Well, here's the mayor. Our city must be safe. I have never uh, shied away from that. That's the foundation of the economic recovery and the stability uh, of the city. I'm not compromising on public safety. That's not going to happen. Public safety is the foundation of this city. That's what taxpayers say. Uh, That's where my businesses are saying. That's what everyone is saying. We want to be safe. WABC News Time 544. The president of Mexico claims he's committed to stopping the flow of Chinese fentanyl into his nation. And then, of course, into the United States. Congressman Henry Cuellar from Texas says he pressed the issue during a face-to-face meeting with the president last week. He said it twice where he committed to talk to China to stop sending fentanyl over to Mexico. Texas Democrat, part of this bipartisan trade mission to Mexico City, where they had this meeting. And we all looked around and he said, let me repeat myself. I will officially ask China to stop sending the uh, fentanyl to Mexico. Yeah, good luck with that. WABC News Time 545. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. And here's Justin Ellick. Thank you, Dome. The Knicks were the only local team in action last night, losing 127-120 to the Heat down in Miami. New York kept it close up until about halfway through the 
fourth quarter when Miami took all of three minutes to swell their one-point lead into double digits. Jimmy Butler led the contest in scoring with 35 points, while R.J. Barrett led all Knicks with his 26. The Knicks still hold possession of fifth place in the Eastern Conference, but after losing two straight here, are only two games up on the Brooklyn Nets and now the Heat. And New York will make the short trip from Miami to Orlando tonight to tip it off with the Magic at 7 p.m. Eastern time. As for the Nets, they'll be back on the court tonight at home to welcome in the Cleveland Cavaliers for a 7.30 p.m. tip-off. In Memphis, all-star point guard John Moran made his highly anticipated return to the floor in his first appearance and serving his eight-game suspension. Moran was away from the team for two weeks after brandishing a gun during an Instagram live stream from a Denver-area strip club in early March. He came off the bench in his return, registering 17 points in his 24 minutes on the floor. And the madness resumes tonight with the Sweet 16 of the NCAA Men's College Basketball Tournament set to get underway at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time between 7-seed Michigan State and 3-seed Kansas State. Following that matchup will be 8-seed Arkansas versus 4-seed UConn at 7-15, 9-seed FAU against 4-seed Tennessee at 9, and finally 3-seed Gonzaga taking on 2-seed UCLA at 9-45. And news yesterday out of Jetsland, unfortunately not directly pertaining to Aaron Rodgers, but still significant nonetheless, gained green-traded wide receiver Elijah Moore to the Cleveland Browns. Well, it does pertain to Aaron Rodgers. Well, I was going to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear it. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So uh, they trade Elijah Moore to the Cleveland Browns, and they almost simultaneously finalize a free agent contract with his replacement in former Kansas City Chiefs wideout McCall Hardman. Hardman's deals were one year, worth maximum $6.5 million. And here we go, Sydney. The draft capital that the Jets receive in the Moore trade could potentially be used as ammunition in their attempts to acquire the aforementioned Rodgers. So why would you start by saying that there was no direct I said not directly pertaining to Aaron, because it's not directly pertaining to Aaron Rodgers. No, it was, yeah. No, no, there's like like one degree of separation. They they wanted to stockpile draft choices to make Aaron Rodgers happy, plus Elijah Moore was miserable. So it really was for Aaron Rodgers, yeah. Okay, so, well, I mean, I think, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you, you said it wasn't, then you made this argument that it was. Well, it wasn't. You'd be some attorney, i got to tell you that. Uh, like, great. It, like it wasn't directly right. news. It wasn't right. It wasn't labeled, right. Aaron Rodgers says this about his, uh, his right. coming to the Jets. But you understand it that, was, that, that, that it's the it levels. Well, you figured it out. I think we might have figured it out. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a lot more confused than I was 30 seconds ago. It doesn't take a lot to confuse you. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you like to take Sid's announcing glasses? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To be in that class. I mean, okay. Here I we mean, go. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> so basically what this all means is that Aaron Rodgers will be a Jet by noon today. There we go. All right, but that's not what you said. You didn't say that's that. not. I didn't say that. Didn't say I thought you, I said that. You could have just started that I'm, way. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought yeah. I said that. No, sorry. Is this pass fail. I'm taking this pass fail. <laughs> I'm not done yet. Jeez, you got the Rangers in action there in Carolina tonight, taking on the Hurricanes at 7 p.m. Here with sports. I'm Justin Ellick on 77 should, WABC. Should have done 40. that one earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. My God. All right, let's catch you up on some of the big stories of the morning, including this uh, eight-hour standoff in Midtown Manhattan with a man who was initially threatening to jump from the third. 31st story of the city spire building. He had smashed through the window. He was, uh, his legs were over the edge. And, you know, I can't remember the last time we've had a scene like this where people were kind of watching on as someone's getting ready to jump. This used to be a regular thing. Do you remember that? This is going back to the 90s, even the 80s. We'd see this a lot with people threatening to jump. Uh, in this guy's case, uh, he didn't follow through. Lots of people watching. Kind of hard because now they got to go all the way around to get to their jobs, you know. But then if you're going to do what you're going to do, you know, wasting people's time and money, you know, it's ridiculous. I mean, taking your life, I mean, you can't buy that back. You can't, you can't take that. There's, it, there's no coming back. Some of the people watching on yesterday as Ian Mitchell was threatening to jump from this building. They put an air mattress down below. I don't know, from 30 floor ups, uh, would an air mattress help you? I'm not sure. They bought him a bouncy house and he still don't want to come down. <laughs> okay.
<laughs> uh, so the uh, police were negotiating with him for hours on end. And then, I mean, these guys are so brave. They police officers repelled down to the 31st floor when they couldn't get into the um, the room where he was and then went through the window. And then that's how they got to them. And they took him into custody and uh, took him to a mental institution. How did he break that window? You know, those windows, I mean, 31st floor. It's got to be very, very thick. It's got to be at least three inches thick. It's got to be. So Mitchell's one of these uh, con men allegedly posed as a member of a wealthy Jamaican family in order to trick investors to fork over all kinds of money to him. Uh, he allegedly stole half of the savings of an Air Force veteran and more than $158,000 from a businessman. So the feds were on to him. They were trying to make that arrest yesterday. Well, in the end, they kind of did, but it was a long about way of doing so. Let's hope he still has some of that money so it can be returned to these poor people who were ripped off. And we were watching this story yesterday, which seems to have cleared up. Service restored now on multiple train lines after brush fires near the tracks in New Jersey disrupted the ride home for so many on New Jersey Transit and Amtrak. It's annoying, really annoying, but, you know, this is the first time I've had a bunch of cancellations like this. I have to take the bus, so I'm going home to Hamilton, New Jersey, um, but they said all the trains are canceled to Hamilton, so he said the only way for me to get there is for the bus. And I've never taken the bus from here before, so I have to try to figure that out. Let's hope by now she has. As, um, so Penn Station was packed last night. It was all flames that they think started from freight trains that had gone down these tracks and things were kind of dry along the tracks and that's what started it I was visiting my friends here and then I was going to New York for, to Times Square to spend the evening and unfortunately the train would cancel and then I'm here from the last two hours. I'm thinking I'm going to drop the plan now. You know, I live life saying it is what it is. It is you what can't it is. change anything. And it is what it is now. Uh, as we've heard in Joe Nolan, it sounds like everything's back up and running this morning. The Princeton Tigers basketball team receiving a huge send-off yesterday as they continue their March Madness run in the Sweet 16. I've been excited for a couple of weeks now. I think I speak for the whole team when I say that. It's a member of that Princeton Tiger team, head coach Mitch Henderson, leading yet another Cinderella from New Jersey, like St. Peter's last year. He says he knows all about the tournament run from his playing days, including the iconic upset the Princeton team had against UCLA back in 1996. I was just saying to one of the freshmen, I was like, you know, do you have any appreciation for how different this is? And he was like, yeah, but I knew he was like, no, I didn't know I did. All right. Uh, the last time the Tigers really made a run for it, you got to go back like 100 years. Okay, it's not 100. But in 1965, the Tigers made the NCAA Final Four. And who was the uh, biggest player on that team? Bill Bradley. Yeah. Who then, of course, became a New Jersey senator. Did, uh, you, just, did you just ask your own question and then answer it? I did. And like almost like you were like impressed, like, I got it? Yes. But you had the answer in front of you. Well, that, that's the whole idea of the show is I just kind of talk the news, you know. So I've asked myself a question, then I answered it. You look like an insane person while you're doing that. <laughs> like I'm watching you do this. It's kind of like Alex Trebek. Right. You ever watch him? Uh, I've, well, he's dead, but yeah. yes. I well, before he was dead, obviously, right. He, right yeah. But he would host Jeopardy, and then he would somebody would get something wrong. Right. And he would, like, belittle them, basically. He was really a prick. And, then, of course, he had the answers in front of him, you know. Right. And then he would be like, oh, no, silly you. No, you should have known it was the Baltic Sea.
you figured He's out. He's got the answers in front of him. Yeah, well, you figured out the genius of the show, as I make it sound like this is all off the top of my head, but right. I actually know this in But the way you did it, like you're actually talking to yourself. Yes, well, for a whole hour, I got I, I, the only person I have to oh, talk I know. to is myself. It's almost like um, acting. It's uh, method acting is what you do. <laughs> But watching you is is, uh, is an added bonus. Well, you know what? Uh, starting tomorrow, we'll put a camera on me, and uh, <laughs> everybody can watch from home. We'll set up a YouTube channel. I'm sure I'll have millions of followers very quickly. <laughs> you're, uh, uh, you're great at what you do. Oh, thank right. you. Yeah. You, really you have to say that. But, yeah, thank you. Uh, five boys uh, ended up stuck. We told you about the story yesterday. Five boys ended up stuck in a Staten Island sewer system Tuesday. And uh, we have more information on the story. They got out okay, so it's a great story. They, you know, we're just investigating, like 11 and 12 year olds do. They go into the sewer system and then they get lost. And they call 911 and they ask for the cops to come find them. We're stuck in the sewer. You're stuck where? In the sewer. In the sewer. <laughs> yeah. And their phones were running out. And so now police and firefighters were like, we need to get to these boys because we don't know where they are. So for an hour or so, they were trying to track them down. Me and my friends just went in because we were exploring. And then we went really far in and then we just forgot where we were. It was scary, but um, we called 911. It was dark and all our phones were dying, so we didn't have a flashlight. So here was the real fear. First of all, they were underground. They were the police and firefighters were surprised their phones actually worked. They were able to get signals. Fire dispatch spent about 30 minutes on the phone with the boys trying to pinpoint their location in this cold, damp underground tube and also make it so these kids wouldn't freak out that they were never going to get out. And firefighters eventually said, told the boys, just keep screaming every once in a while and maybe we'll hear you from above. And in the end, that's how it actually all worked out. Rescue five. Went into the tunnel to operate in the confined space. As we got closer to Clove Road, we would hear their we could hear their voices a little bit. They hear you. Call for help. <laughs> and I saw them about forty feet down in the tube. I crawled in. Yeah, and then they got them. So uh, here's the, one of the mothers of one of the boys who only found out about the fact that he was even underground in the sewer until after it was all over. I got a call from my friend Victoria, who works uh, for Rumsey on the ambulance, and she said, we have Declan. I was relieved and also, um, I was relieved, but uh, upset, obviously, um, that he he decided to, to <laughs> crawl into a storm drain. Yeah, I'd be upset too, but thankfully it all worked out.